Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Market Source Real Estate and Libsyn. We're going to be telling you more about them later in this episode. All right. I want to personally give you a big welcome, give you a big group hug. Welcome to episode 412 of I Am Salt Lake podcast. My name's Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. So according to this article on KUTV.com, it says that Utah ranks third in the country for the most Christmas spirit. That's so cool, but also we can totally get to number one. Hey, I can get down with this though. Third in Christmas spirit? Third out of 50. Yeah, third out of 50 states. Yeah. And it's probably all from me. (laughs) Hey, this is something to be proud of, Utah. And if you want to check out the link, uh, we put it on our Facebook page if you want to go back and and check it out there. Hey, but if this is your first time listening to this podcast, if you're asking yourself, what am I about to listen to? What is this podcast all about? Well, Chrissy and myself, we sit down with locals from Salt Lake City here. We're talking to business owners, comedians, authors, tattoo artists, breweries, distilleries, really anyone that might have a cool story to share. Who's on the podcast today, Chrissy? Who is going to join us on this episode? On this episode of the podcast, we are actually joined by local cardiovascular doctor, Kevin Shaw. Kevin is a cardiovascular doctor at the University of Utah, And in this conversation, we talk about why he decided to relocate his family to Salt Lake City, what it's like being a cardiovascular doctor at the University of Utah, social media in medicine, and so much more. We're going to get into that conversation here in just a moment. This is a really cool conversation, guys. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but it's time to uh, give some love to one of our awesome sponsors, Market Source Real Estate. We love them. They've actually been one of our sponsors for a couple of years now, and and, and they're really cool to work with. And sponsors so, and friends. So yeah, sponsors and friends, go check them out. But if you love the charm and you love the character of old homes, you really need to contact our friends at Market Source Real Estate. They actually helped us find the home that we're recording this podcast in right now. And for the last 18 years, they have been specializing in helping people buy and sell homes in Sugar House and the greater Salt Lake area. They have a background of flipping houses and they've owned almost two dozen homes themselves. So they really know the ins and outs of older homes. And if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate specializes in helping sellers update or repair their homes to increase their value and make sellers more money. Hey, if you're looking to buy an old home, they know what to look for in older homes so you don't end up buying a money pit. You can find their info on their website, thinksaltlakecity.com, or just give them a call, 801-810-6773. Again, thinksaltlakecity.com or their phone number, 801 801- 810-6773 and many thanks to Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get into that conversation that we had with Kevin Shaw when he came over to our podcast studio and we got to find out his story. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Before you came on the podcast, I mean, we're recording, we're going here. So, sure. so uh, you, you mentioned how you contacted the University of Utah. Yeah. So- it, yeah, if you want to kind of share a little bit about that, I oh guess. no, of course. I uh, I'm a new employee at the University of Utah. I moved I moved here from California to join the cardiology team there uh, this past September. 
Uh, so obviously, everything that I say today, it's of course my opinion. It's not the opinion of the universities. Of course, of course. I mean, we wouldn't want to. I mean, University of Utah. We love those guys, right? I guess they love they keep us, us alive too, and so. stuff. They're great. That's the goal. That's that is the, the goal. goal. <laughs> now, so where did you move here from? I know we were talking prior to recording, but I mean, for the sake of the recording, sure. where did you move here from? I moved here, my, my wife and I and our daughter, we moved here from West Los Angeles this past August. What did you think of Salt Lake City? Like, did you visit before? You just moved here without visiting or, or I mean, what was the initial thought? Good question. I, uh, before visiting, I had very little preconceived notions about the city. Uh, I think the biggest things that stood out were sort of the stereotypes to me. So I knew about the skiing. I knew about the presence of the church. And that was actually honestly about it. But what drew me here was actually the professional opportunity and the team that I ended up choosing to work with, uh, which is sort of a specialized team within the university. Uh, we're cardiologists, but our team specifically takes care of patients with kind of end stage heart disease or heart failure. And it was such a great team. It's one of the, I think, better teams in the country that between the opportunity to work with them and honestly to try life outside of California once because I'm a California kid and I had never left the state before, it seemed like a great place to uh, try something new. Well, that's what I was wondering if you ever left, right? Like, especially... Oh, wow. Right from L.A. to to Salt Lake City. (laughs) It's probably quite the uh, culture shock. It is in certain ways, but we were talking about it before we started recording. Certain cities, especially Los Angeles, it's... It seemed like a no-brainer from a family-friendliness type of city. And again, Los Angeles is fantastic, but public schools aren't great. Private schools overpriced. So, you know, like a lot of big decisions, I think there's usually a push and a pull. And I think there were some pushes out of California and there was a lot of pull to come to Salt Lake City. Was there anything that you were nervous about coming here? Um, Or not? I mean, I don't know. I guess that's kind of a strange question. Well, I mean, I think it's a good question because you're always kind of nervous anytime you have a big life change. Yes. I think the idea of making new friends at our age, I'm 34, right? And because if you stay in certain parts of the state or the country, you tend to hold on to a lot of your old friends. And I have a dear group of friends in California that I'm very close with. But I remember when we were moving here, we kind of asked ourselves, okay, we're in our mid-30s now and we have a kid. Making new friends now, it's a little bit more complicated in terms of finding people that you connect with. Sometimes it's professionally, sometimes it's just personally, you know, out and about. And then it gets even more complicated when you have children. And ideally, in a perfect world, you make friends with other people that have children, maybe the same age, so you can start doing things together. So for me, it was this idea of moving to a new place and actually finding new friends there. I want to get in, obviously, to all the doctor stuff, the cardiovascular stuff, but this is an interesting thought for me right now because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that have just moved here, right? I've been here for, gosh, 25 years, so I know all the outlets, right, to find out what's going on and find out what you know what's going on in the city. Have you discovered very many things yet or how are you finding what's going on? Because, I mean, even you and I, we met at a uh, – it was like a, a market, a farmer's market or yes. something, Sugar House. Mm-hmm. So even that event, a lot of people that move here, they don't hear about that because I, I, I'll run into them later on and they'll be like, oh, how do you find out about all this stuff? So how do you find out? A few ways, actually. So in terms of finding out about events, I definitely kind of keep my eyes to what's going on. There's a few – online newsletters, and I wish I could know the names of them off the top of my head, Yeah, that kind of broadcast events in Salt Lake City. Uh, and when we got here, we said we need to keep our eyes out for what's actually going on. And we went out of our way to try to attend a lot of these 
you know, farmers markets and things along those lines during the summer. And on top of that, in terms of actually meeting people, I think my wife's been much more proactive than I've been. She joined some of these, you know, they have dating apps to make friends now. And oh, do they? they I do. always thought they should, especially for couples, yes. you know, like yes, you got to find your perfect match. You do. And so she, I, I couldn't tell you which one, but she joined one and at least made at least one or two good friends off of some of these apps where you essentially, it's like a blind date, but it's really the the spirit of it is to try to make new friends because you're new in town. Yeah. And between attending some of these farmers markets and hearing about what's going on in the community and learning about some of the digital digital opportunities to meet people, we've done a pretty okay job, I think, of making some new friends here. So you're a cardiovascular doctor. I mean, how do you... So, okay, a little bit of history about me, Kevin. I grew up... My mom's kind of a hippie, right? So I didn't grow up very much part of the whole regular traditional... Medicine. Uh, medicine, Western medicine, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you You're know, very, very Eastern medicine. Very Eastern medicine, right? I, as I've gotten older, I'm a little more educated in, in all of this. But so your cardiovascular doctor, I mean, how long have you been doing this? Like, when did you finish up school? Well, you're so I mean, young. Yeah, man. 30, like, <laughs> 34. Well, so, you know, that's the the good and the bad of it, I would say. Um, the amount of school and training yeah. that it takes to get all the way here, it's, it's a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, in that I finished medical school when I was around 24 years old. Wow. Obviously, you go to college, medical school is four years. And then after that, you choose some sort of specialty or even subspecialty training. And in my case, I did three years of specialty training, which is internal medicine, three more years of cardiology training. So you're now you're sort of focusing on one organ system. And then after that, I did one more year of subspecialty training, which is taking care of heart patients sort of at the end of life that have heart failure that may benefit from things like a heart transplant and then even taking care of those patients after a heart transplant. Is that kind of like the hardest field within cardiology? You know, I think they're all hard and challenging in their own ways. Yeah, um, that's probably fair. Yeah, because there's you're focusing on different things. There's different. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are general cardiologists or cardiologists that focus on imaging. There are cardiologists that focus on uh, interventions. So things like balloon angioplasty and stenting and fixing heart valves. There are cardiologists that focus on electrical problems pacemakers, defibrillators, ablations, things like that. What I do is just another kind of one of the team members of all the cardiologists. So it's a lot of training to get here. In fact, I just finished all of my training this past summer. So this opportunity here is really my first, it's sad to admit, it's my first real grown-up job as a 34-year-old after all of the training. That's not sad, man. Well, it's the, you know, you you delay certain things in life, but once you get there, you you are excited to actually feel like you know a lot about one thing. Yeah, ethics. like you get to implement all the knowledge that you've spent the last 10 years learning. Exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, that's awesome. It's great. It's a field that for me, I mean, again, I just started practicing sort of independently a few months ago. But after all of this training, it's a, it's a field for me, at least it's sort of I think it sort of selected me. Uh, I went into cardiology at sort of a personal loss. Uh, I lost my father when I was young. He had heart disease. And from I I was 20 at the time, he was 54, he died from a heart attack. Uh, And then shortly thereafterwards, you know, I had no interest in medicine before all of this. Uh, Believe it or not, I wanted to be a sports announcer. I was curious, like, what else you wanted to be as a yeah. kid, right? You like, know, I mean, <laughs> growing up, I had all the typical guy stuff, uh, maybe not typical. I wanted to be a paleontologist at some point. 
I really wanted to be a basketball player, but I essentially stopped growing. <laughs> You're like, that's off the table <laughs> and <I> was now. <laughs> genetically challenged, I think. And so I had an okay set of pipes and I said, well, maybe I can be a sports announcer. Uh, and so I even tried that a little bit in college. But like I mentioned, what happened was, you know, unfortunately we lost uh, a loved one when I was younger and it wasn't right away, but it was a few months afterwards. I sort of became galvanized in terms of this is what I want to put my energy into. And I was fortunate enough to find kind of mentors early in life that said, yeah, if you want to be a cardiologist, you can do this. And they sort of helped me along the way. And then you add up all the years of medical school and training, and then you actually get there. It's nice to be able to use a loss for something that's actually for greater good long-term. So are you the first one in your family then to be like in the, in the health field, like a doctor? Yeah. My, you know, my parents were not in medicine. Mm. Uh, my father owned a grocery store in uh, an LA suburb uh, and my mom kind of worked closely with her and now she works uh, retail. I have some physicians in my family, but sort of in my nuclear family, I'm the first one. What does your family think of, of you being a doctor? I mean, any, do they have any how many midnight phone calls do you yeah. get? <laughs> hey, what, what do you think of this, Kevin? The, the good news is the more you specialize, the less the questions can apply to you. Okay. In other words, I think when you're a medical student, people go, what's, what's this rash? What does my kid have? What is this? And then as you get more and more narrow, they can send you those questions and they do. But your response means a lot less if they versus if they have a friend that's a pediatrician or a friend that's a dermatologist. And so the questions now when they come, they're very specific and they're appropriate. But once you start to get narrow, everyone can't ask you a question because it doesn't apply to everyone anymore. A lot of, can I pick your brain? Yes, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of, I yeah. saw this on the news. What do you think about that? Which is, you know, that's part of, I think, the challenge of being a physician in 2019 or moving forward. It's being able to tease out what's meaningful information versus what's a little bit of noise. Yeah. And sort of the way modern research gets publicized, it's, a, it's important to have headlines that are exciting, right? So a study comes out that says X is associated with Y, and then all of a sudden the headline from that is X causes Y. Mm -hmm. And then, the you know, the nightly news says, well, stop drinking Huh. whatever beverage because it's get hidden exactly they yeah. do yeah. and being able to tease out what's kind of high level evidence versus what's you know more associations and looking back retrospectively i think is an important tool as a physician and it's honestly important as a consumer too huh. because it's really easy to click something click something and go well i stopped drinking this beverage or i started eating this thing because i saw the headline and when you look at what the science was behind the headline, you realize, well, it was a little short-sighted to make that conclusion. Also, WebMD. Yeah, well, that's what, yes. Chrissy, we were talking before you came today. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy was like, I'm, I'm curious, uh, like, you know, how much has the internet taken yeah, I mean, taken away, like, how you does know, it affect how you it affects as... you? Everybody becomes their own doctor. They do. Uh -huh. they, you know, it's a good question. People do come very well informed. And where they receive their information from is obviously highly variable, but more and more, I saw this more in Los Angeles, but I'm new here and I think I'll see it here too, just as much over time. People come with their full internet printouts of, of everything, not just the WebMD wow. printout. Wait, but here they do? Here, I saw it more in Los Angeles, oh, more, but no, I think okay. I will like see it here. Like they had a binder <laughs> yes. opened up and they're like, on this page. <laughs> exactly. Or again, or they print out the actual original article. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've had patients come in with graphs of their own labs and, and articles that they saw and said, well, why don't we use this medicine versus that medicine? And overall, I think it's a good thing, right? You'd rather have a patient be overly engaged versus 
you know, I take seven pills, doc, and I don't know which one I'm supposed to take when and which one's the red one and is mm-hmm. it the blue one? You'd rather have someone know more than less and care more than less. But you're right. I think working with patients to sort of tease out what's important, what's not important, and what they sort of just read on the internet versus what they need to focus on is, it's. I think it's a modern challenge in medicine. Yeah, it seems like you would have to constantly be working on busting down misinformation. Like if someone comes in with an article that's bogus or if they research something that's totally off topic and they're trying to connect it or, you know, it seems like you get stuck in the middle trying to educate them. Yeah. I, I think it's part of the professional obligation, right? You take Mm -hmm. an oath to try to help people as much as you can. And part of the medical training is hopefully having a good understanding of what is meaningful and actionable data versus not so much. Yeah. And I agree with you. At times, you probably do feel stuck in the middle, but it's also part of the job to try to help people understand what's going to help them either live longer or feel better by taking this drug or undergoing this procedure versus not. Sometimes the answer is don't do any of those um, steps and helping people understand which one is right for them as part of your job. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Libsyn. Hey, is one of your New Year's resolutions to start your very own podcast? Does your business want to start a podcast? If you or someone you know, if you're in the process of starting a podcast and you're looking for the best podcast audio host out there, go check out Libsyn.com. We've been using Libsyn to host I Am Salt Lake podcast for over seven years now, and I know that I truly could not be more happy with them. They make it super easy to set up, you guys. They make it super easy to get your podcast routed to all the podcast players out there like Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I Am Salt Lake podcast listeners, pay attention. You can use the promo code SALTLAKE. We made this code just for you guys, Salt Lake, and you're going to get the rest of this month and all of next month a free hosting at Libsyn.com. Again, that promo code is Salt Lake, S-A-L-T-L-A-K-E. You'll be supporting the podcast by using that promo code, and you'll also get yourself some free podcast audio hosting at the same time. Win-win. This is awesome, you guys. Go check it out. Many thanks to Libsyn for their support. Let's get back into that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. Like you're on the internet, right? You're looking around and I mean, there's so much garbage on the internet nowadays. Is there any way to like tell if, if it's a good source of information or, or, I mean, I guess it's always good to talk to your, you talk to your doctor, I guess, if, if you have any serious questions. I I think that's the wisest step. I think it's a good idea to keep your eyes open. Mm. I think it's a good idea to follow reputable sources collect information. And then, as you mentioned, put that together and probably, you know, all of these, all of the modern health systems, including where I work now, there's always an online portal in which you can, you know, ping your physician and send them messages, quick questions, or I ran across this. And I think you're better off collecting information and sending it to a physician who's hopefully sort of specialized in that space to say, you know, I saw this New York Times article, or I saw this on the internet, what do you think? Should I stop this or should I start that? And at least send them the information so they know where you're coming from. Because as you know, information comes so fast nowadays, there's a reasonable chance your physician hasn't seen it yet. 
which mm-hmm. is crazy. It is crazy, but it's true. The, the well, there's so much, uh, and it's yeah, it's so fast paced and so many things you can't even. Uh, I don't think any of us could really keep up with it. I, I think it's it's a it's a high task to try to keep up with it. There, were, I think there was an era where there were only certain journals that sort of mattered the most, and physicians would wait every month until that journal showed up at their doorstep, and they would leaf through it and make conclusions. And that still applies to some degree, and that journals still come in print, and you're trying to keep up with modern science. The shortcoming is so many journals now and so much science is coming digitally, like everything else. And so as you mentioned, Chrissy, the information comes so fast that a lot of times physicians actually can't really keep up with what's signal, what's noise, and what's sort of meaningful data to actually act upon. And I've had I've had patients show me studies that they've seen that say, hey, is this relevant to what I'm doing? And I, I had not seen it before. So I'll take a look and you know make decisions with them. But you're right. Being able to keep up with everything is hard. It seems like it. So how do you keep up with everything then? Good question. I right? mean, because you do a great job. I mean, even on your Twitter, you're, you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. I found Twitter to be a helpful tool, I think, as a physician for a few reasons. One, what I mentioned before, there's so much science out there. If you, there's a lot of physicians on Twitter for a good reason. It's giving a platform where if you start following other professionals, not just nationally, but worldwide that have a similar professional interest as you, that community that you're following, they're going to start sharing the articles that are relevant to what you're doing and the patients you're seeing. So I've actually found Twitter to be a great tool to sort of keep my eyes on what's at least active, not just in what I'm doing, but even in other sciences or other health kind of specialties. And then once you see those articles, you pull them for yourself and you leaf through them. Between that and, again, most of the modern journals do a good job of sort of emailing physicians that are reading them about the most recent articles. And physicians do a lot of sort of independent education or continuing medical education after their training. So you're attending scientific meetings and you're trying to figure out what's the new science in your area and also what just reviews about things you should be doing if you're not doing them. At what age should you see a cardiologist? Like I'm 42. Should I see one? Should I mean, I guess do you just check my heart out, right? See how sure. I'm doing? I, you know, I think to define an age would be hard, sure. right? Because mm-hmm. there are, there are some people that are born with heart problems. Sure. Sure. I guess that. Yeah. And for I would say if you weren't born with a heart problem, it's probably never too early, even if it's a one-time visit, which I think is scary for a lot of people because, like you said, you're 42, everything should be fine. <laughs> well, should be is the <laughs> well, and denial is so much easier, right? Like it is. See, I don't know. If I kind of would go like and to don't know. Check, then you, everything's fine. I'm the type of person I like to know. Just tell me yeah. right now, Kevin. Am I what's what's going on? With you're going to live. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna li- you're gonna Excellent live, diagnosis. You're gonna live. <laughs> At least through this podcast, you're, right? you're going to get through the end of the taping of the show. Oh, um, that's all that matters, that really. Is, that's all that matters. No, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, as you mentioned, you may feel fine. Uh-huh. And there are a lot of sort of risk factors for heart disease that develop over time. And people don't really feel symptoms. Things like high blood pressure, things like cholesterol abnormalities, things like your blood sugars or glucose. And until you actually have testing for those, a lot of times people don't know. And those are the things that really, they are considered heart disease, but they really put you at risk for serious heart disease. So to answer your question as a four, as a 42 year old, 
What I would at least recommend is probably seeing either your general doctor or cardiologist once so you have an idea of where you are with a lot of those, and then hopefully they can counsel you on the other things that you can work on, which a lot of us could do better about, which is being active, eating well, sleeping well, things along those lines. Well, that's what I was going to ask that actually is like some three tips that, you know, we could share with our listeners on what they can do to improve their health or their cardiovascular health. Like you mentioned, uh, eat, sleep and, and exercise, I guess. It's sad because some of these things are really simple. You know, in fact, some a lot of the societies they have, they try to boil it down to simple things that you can do. Sure. Um, again, I, I don't represent the American Heart Association, but they do a great job of boiling it down to the simple seven, which are the seven things most people can do. If you achieve all seven of them, you'll probably, your risk for heart disease long-term is very low, but they're hard things to do when you actually line them all up. And you have to like incorporate them into daily life constantly. Which is That's hard. seven habits. I don't know what they are, but they're hard. Of highly effective people, <laughs> of highly cardiologically sound people. Well, right. it's, you know, it's simple things. It's like being being active, right? Exercising. Mm-hmm. Which is hard for a lot of people these days. It's, it's extremely hard, right? Yeah. You're trying to build it into your schedule and you mm-hmm. guys have families and you sure. have children and you have jobs, but actually building exercise into your schedule, eating well, which obviously means eating the right foods and not the wrong foods. Not McDonald's every every day. Not right? every day, just every, every other day. day. Every, everything uh, in moderation, I would say. Um, Sleep. So sleep's very important. I would add sleep is just something that we underappreciate in terms of how important it is. And I think a lot of us are sort of sleep deprived and don't take the time for it. In terms of things that should be measured and monitored, I mentioned sugar. I mentioned blood pressure. I mentioned cholesterol. They're actually easy things to sort of know where you are now and then know where your goal should be moving forward. The other things are just keeping a low body weight, which again, a lot of Americans, when you try to line all of these things up, in the world that we live in, it's not that easy for people. Well, right. it's hard too to know what is you know good for you. It's yes. good, you know, or or who to listen to. I mean, I I know. Uh, I mean, we we've run into issues where you know people they'll be like, oh, you know, how did you know? Because I, I do the keto diet, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah, uh, they, they'll come to me for tips and advice and stuff, and it's like. Well, this worked for me. It might not work for you or, 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 you know, people, or they don't, you know, understand, you know, how things work. It's, it's hard today. And today's, you know, the, the, the basic American diet isn't even the same as it used to be. Well, convenience now is of utmost importance. So we're all putting convenience ahead of our health. We are. It's a lot harder and more time consuming to actually take care of yourself. All all of these things, they take time and effort and energy, right? Finding Mm -hmm. time to exercise, eating well, resting well, things along those lines. They take time. I'm I'm curious, Chris, how how has your body changed on the keto diet? Have you noticed big difference? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I I, I we're actually talking Huge. about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, I was a lot heavier. I've I lost a significant amount of weight, but then I've actually started gaining a lot of muscle. I've because uh, I've been been exercising as well, hitting the gym up. I pretty much go to the gym at least five to six times a week. Mm-hmm. And um, I started with cardio, dropped the weight, doing the keto as well. And then now I am have incorporated weights and have actually started putting on weights. I actually, I mean, I f- believe I feel better. Uh, it's hard to know because I've been doing it for so long. We actually, I had a cheat because uh, I, I don't do cheat days. A lot of people on keto do cheat days. And we went to uh, the City Weekly uh, Best of Utah Awards, and I had some cookies there. Yeah. And I haven't had cookies for a long time, like regular just 
everyday cookies. Yeah. And sugar, the, sugar the sugar and all that, all that garbage in there just really kicked me on my rear yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, because, well, so to back up a little bit, I eliminated gluten about five years ago too. So eliminating that and then I haven't had any gluten or wheat and then I have those cookies. And so my thought is, well, this is probably how I would feel if I ate that every day. Now, do I plan on doing keto forever? Probably not. Well, it right? sounds like you've benefited quite a bit. I from have it. benefited. And, and we've actually talked about this where mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know what else to eat. Because at this point, it's like, I don't want to eat ice cream. I don't want to eat wheat. I don't want to eat, excuse me, because I know it will make me feel like lousy, right? So it's like, I'm not necessarily doing keto, keto, like counting all my carbs and doing all of that. But I find the food agrees with my body, you know, more meat, more, uh, more meat, more dairy, more of, of those type of, you know, less Less sugary, less. Uh, I used to eat a lot of fruit too, you know, and I know that will spike up all the sugars and insulin. And gosh, I just started rambling up a ton here. And it, nobody <laughs> no, came. Nobody came. Hey, I mean, what are you? For your, anyone who's well, looking into keto, here's some. What are you your know? thoughts on keto now? I mean, that that we're here. Yeah, that we're you talking. Know, I in general, I, a lot of the diet, the different diets as they come and go. I have a. I honestly have a tough time keeping up with them. Keeping up in terms of what makes this diet versus what makes up that diet. Mm-hmm. I've been vegetarian my whole life. See, and I was vegan for seven years. Wow, you must time. have been hungry for seven years. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just hard. It, it is. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. I, I think it's hard. So for me, it's been not that hard because if you're if you're something your whole life, it's just what you do, right? If you're if you're raised in a vegetarian home and you eat vegetarian growing up and then you become a vegetarian adult, it's not that difficult. Right. What I witness and I am more impressed by are individuals who at age X, they said, well, I stopped eating meat altogether, but they grew up on meat and then figured figured out ways to actually supplement that. Like you said, you went vegan for seven, seven years between well, was about the, between the ages of about 17 and 24. Wow. Uh, I was vegan. Did, uh, did that agree with your body too? It did at the time at first, but then I believe soy wrecked havoc. <laughs> and at that time, uh, there, that was really the only vegetarian alternative was soy. There wasn't all the vegetarian and vegan options like there are today, which there yeah. are a lot. Uh, cause I mean, it was back when you were a weirdo if you yeah, were vegan. Well, yeah, exactly. And now you're cool. Exactly. Um, and so I believe it caused a, a little bit of problems in, in me, uh, with some vitamin deficiencies, mm. but that might not necessarily be the diet. It might be my misinformation of the diet. Maybe I, I wasn't smart enough to get the things. I wasn't seeing a doctor to supervise me during that time. Well, and we know for a fact that you suffer with some vitamin deficiencies that's very common with extreme yeah. veganism. Yeah. Sure. So it's so. like it's lasted through till now. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. Now, so you said you were a vegetarian your whole life? My whole life. Like, yeah. Do you? kind of push that on your patients then vegetarianism not at all i I mean i think in general the idea of being more plant-based is there's probably a lot of good science and evidence behind that in other words having more of your diet be plant-based than not okay but to draw a hard line in the sand to say only be vegetarian or vegan or something along those lines for health purposes i think it's hard to make a strong argument for for me i did it mostly i grew up in a home that sure. was vegetarian it was sort of it wasn't is part of a religious background and so it's been easy for me to continue it moving forward but to tell people the biggest thing for me when it comes to diets is whatever works for the person because some people as you mentioned yeah. they take on diet x and they're a brand new person 
two years later and they've shed 50 pounds and their lipid profiles look a lot better and I'm all for it. But it's hard to keep up with sort of the science behind each of the diets because there's not a lot of fantastic sort of randomized trial data to say this is the best diet. And as you pointed out, Chris, people are built so differently. Some people respond really well to certain limitations and other people, they fall on their back when they try to restrict themselves from eating X or Y. So what do you recommend for people, especially, I mean, this is a, a kind of a cool topic to bring up with New Year's here, right? I mean, this this episode will be up right before New Year's probably. Right. So everyone's, you know, frantically coming up with resolutions. They want to lose weight. So they want to go on a diet. Do you ever recommend diets? Would that be something that a person, I guess their re- their family physician would be the best person to talk it, to or? Yeah, it does seem like it would make a big change in in your field of work, like of with, with end heart, of the life, heart. heart. Yeah. 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 With, with heart disease in general, they, the simplest things are honestly avoiding fried foods at all costs. Okay. Uh, I think those are the low, the lowest hanging fruit in the American diet that one could try their hardest to say, I won't touch a French fry. I won't touch fried anything fried Twinkies, else. Fried no Twinkies, all, all of those things. And on top of that, just putting more fruits and vegetables on the plate. It's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Every, most people know they should eat more fruits and vegetables, myself included, but actually being deliberate about it in your home when you're eating out is hard. And so the simplest thing I would tell people is probably less fried food, more fruits and vegetables, ideally eating out less, cooking at home more. But again, we talked about Chrissy, I think in modern times with how busy people are, it's hard to say, I'm going to make every meal at home and it's going to be the freshest and healthiest thing possible. That's not always easy. Yeah. It's not easy at all. I'm jealous of people who can do it. Honestly, it's like, it's great if you can. Yeah. It's a real commitment. I think I have some mm -hmm. friends that sort of meal prep and plan out almost every meal and it's clear they put a lot of time, a lot of energy into it. And I admire them for it. I think it's a great thing. If you're controlling everything that goes in your body, that's going to be a good step. Oh, yeah. A lot of people just don't have the time or the means to do that. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give somebody? Like, let's say one of our listeners wanted to be a cardiologist, right? What advice, or, or maybe one day they want to be, what advice would you give them? I would tell them they can do it. <laughs> In other words, you know, I was just talking about this with my wife the other day. I noticed when I started in medicine, a lot of people come from families within medicine. And you asked me too, if I had, you know, physicians in my family, I have some cousins that are physicians, but not in my direct family. And when I started medical school, I noticed this is in a lot of professions, right? Attorneys, engineers, where their families and their parents are all in the same space. And it really does open doors for you in any specialty or in any field, if your family's in that field. So it's unfortunate, I think that for some people, certain professions, it's not even on their radar, as Mm -hmm. something that they can do. And a lot of times that's because there's not someone in their periphery that says you can do this. Yeah. So I would say anybody that wants to, first of all, can, at least in this country, you definitely can. And the, the simplest things are honestly, it's the simple stuff in life, right? It's work hard, be honest, don't take yourself too seriously. And especially in medicine, finding mentors, finding people to open doors for you. If you haven't even started, it's finding a cardiologist to say, hey, can I tag along and shadow you and see what you do and figure out, is that something you really want to do? Yeah. Because again, for me, I figured out due to a loss that I said, I want to be a cardiologist and I want to have this sort of subspecialty. And I'm fortunate that all the way through my training, everything sort of 
amplified, but it also solidified what I wanted to do. As I move forward, I said, I want to do this. I still want to do this. I still want to do this. A lot of people pick careers, not necessarily knowing what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing is probably having a very realistic idea of what you want your life to look like. Do you want to be on call? Do you not want to be on call? Things like that. And finding someone in the profession and saying, hey, can I learn about what you do? Because the truth is most people in medicine would are, will happily share with you their experience and will happily tell you if, if the things that they do do align with what you want your life to look like. Do you put a lot of hours in? Is, uh, it, a, is it a lot of hours? Like, uh, I mean, don't you like all day, right? 48 hour shifts or something? When you're in training, yeah. when you're in residency or fellowship, the shifts can get a little bit long. They used to be even longer. The physicians before me, generations before me, put in many more hours than I ever did. Yeah. Which and is so dangerous. It, there's, you know, there's pros and cons, right? Yeah. A lot of people went through the training and they said, this is what made me the doctor that I am. But hmm. you're right. There is some science to show that the the more time you spend working straight without resting, you are there is a higher likelihood you'll make a mistake. Yeah. Or even and the sleep deprivation could be so unhealthy for you. And then you're not working to your full potential. Right. Which I'm is really why glad that it's kind of it has, you know, tapered down with with that. It has people don't in training. They don't work the shifts as long as they used to. Mm-hmm. And now in my position, I'm fortunate in that I do work reasonable hours, nothing like in training, but I also work with a lot of trainees. So I'm fortunate that I get to help train future cardiologists, future residents, future medical or current medical students. And with doing that, there's a lot of people that are sort of helping me take care of patients. And hopefully I'm helping them train to become the doctors they want to be. Because I guess the schooling up at the University of Utah is that the the students that you're helping train? Exactly. Very yeah. Cool. The University of Utah has a has a fantastic medical school, residency program, cardiology fellowship, heart failure fellowship. And so there's a lot of intelligent, motivated yeah. individuals that attend and they learn from physicians that are sort of practicing uh, at the hospital there and they get to train with them. Now, did you mention where you went to school? Yeah. I, uh, so I'm, I'm a California kid. So you went to school in California. Every, I went to medical school at UC Irvine. I went to residency at UC San Diego. And then I did my fellowship subspecialty at UCLA and Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. When you came to University of Utah, were you like, man, I should have came to school here. This is so much better. It, again, <laughs> it was not on my radar at all before coming here. I think having a family changes yeah. your perspective, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Having a kid changes yeah. your perspective in a big way. Huge. And yeah. looking at options in terms of my first job, it made a lot of sense to go to a place that's yeah. really family friendly. Yeah. And Salt Lake City is probably one of the best places in the country for that. And University of Utah, they have such a great medical program. Like. I've never heard anyone say anything negative about it. It's it, it's it, always just top notch. If you want the best, go there. It's really fantastic. I Again, I just started in September, but I've been so impressed by everyone that I work with. And as you pointed out, really in the Mountain West area, there are not a lot of options for kind of large academic medical centers. Yeah. So, you know, if someone has an unusual disease or someone needs highly specialized care, the, the even the team that I work with, the heart failure transplant team, we provide care, obviously, to Salt Lake City and to Utah, but the physicians go out of their way to do what's called outreach, and physicians will go to Wyoming, they'll go to Montana, they'll go to Colorado, and some of these areas that are a little bit more rural and help provide care for patients that are out there. And all in all, it's it's been such a fantastic experience. 
Do you take you take new patients? No. Yeah, of course. I was going to say because our listeners maybe could reach <laughs> out to you, right? And, sure. And uh, and we'll put all that information at iamsaltlake.com uh, with this episode. Uh, you know, reach out to you, maybe. Yeah, maybe, you know, um, I'm. I'd be happy to help anyone that has heart disease or is at risk for heart disease. Answer any questions. Very cool. What else? I mean, what are some of your other hobbies and interests? Right, like let's find out a little bit about Kevin here. Or do you have much extra time for hobbies and interests, or <laughs> they, do you stay pretty busy? They all slowly dissolve when you have a child. Yeah. No. Um, Isn't that sad how it, that happens? Right. Like I'm just like man. I got to find some of my old hobbies and stuff again. I was a giant, uh, and I still am a big stand-up comedy fan. Really? Yeah. And where where I used to live, it was, again, it was kind of overcrowded, but what was nice about West Los Angeles was the abundance of stand-up comedy clubs that were there and just the, the, the lineups that they would have of kind of old school and contemporary comics that were just all headliners in any other place. Here, I haven't had a chance to go. I think Wise Guys is a yeah. big place in town. I haven't gone yet, but I've heard really good things. And that's when I'm not working or with my child. If there is a little bit of free time right before bed, I'll try to slide in some stand-up comedy on something streaming. I love okay. that. Top five. Can you give me top five comedians? Do they, they don't have to be the ultimate top five. Are but... they in order? No, uh, no just five. I would say... five of your favorites. Yeah, five, five of yeah. your favorites. All right, let's go. Um, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Carrey. Jim, Jim hey. Carrey's good, man. I yeah. don't know if I've ever watched his stand-up. Yeah, well, you know, so Chrissy used to dabble in a little stand-up did comedy. You? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's yeah. why so, I'm just like, ooh. That's why when you her ears perked up when you they said did. that. Well, I'm so, so. Did you have you done open mics and you performed mm-hmm. and everything? I I think yeah. the world of that. I'm so like people ask, well, what would you do if you had another profession? For me, it would. I'm so in awe of people that execute stand-up comedy and do it well. Oh um, man, you should totally go to an open mic and just do it. If you do it, tell me, I'll come. So I took I took a few classes in LA, but I never found the time, commitment, courage to actually do it on my own. Uh, but I think the world of it, and I, I will one day, it's on my bucket list. That's It's on my bucket list too, but uh, one day I'll get up there and just, what, like two minutes? You I don't know, it's a long time, three. two minutes, three, three minutes. That's a long time when you're up there in front of a lot of people. Yeah, it depends on, well, that's if you bring a person, you get an extra minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the secret, don't bring anybody. Yes, and you only got and the you're dude. good to go. <laughs> let's, uh, let's switch gears to Salt Lake City. We have some Salt Lake City uh, related questions we ask everybody on the yeah. podcast, Kevin. Uh, especially you, I'm curious, like, have you had friends and family visit you yet? Yeah. Have you, I mean, do you show them around at all? Or, I mean, I guess you're, you're limited to what you show yeah, around. Do you, the, anything that comes to mind? The, I think the activities, again, they change if you have kids versus if you don't have kids and then how old your kids are. We've done the, um, the aquarium quite a bit down, down there in Draper. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's great if you have little ones, I think. So the, mm-hmm. the aquarium stands out quite a bit. Um, in terms of, Going out, we've actually gone to the zoo quite a bit, which it's a it's a fantastic zoo. I spent eight years in San Diego, so I compare it to that, which is not a fair comparison. The San Diego Zoo is fantastic. The zoo in Salt Lake City is amazing, but it's just a little different, uh, especially with the weather changes. And where else? We have family visiting this weekend, actually. My, uh, my wife's brother, sister-in-law, and niece are coming for a few days. So we're trying to figure out where to go sledding because obviously – it snowed. We had a storm last weekend or last week. And we'll put, you know, restaurant wise, the one place that stood out to me so far was this place called Prohibition. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a speakeasy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool drinks, good vibe, great food. We'll probably try to go there next weekend if we can figure out some childcare. 
you were mentioning a hill to to go sledding on. The only yes. hill I know of right off the top of my head that there's that hill at Liberty Park, but that's not even really that big of a hill. So maybe if some but of our- But for a two-year-old, that's nice and safe. You know, that's if, a we, you know? we need small hills. Yeah. yeah. I think Sugar House Park has a oh, lot yeah. of them. From Sugar House mm-hmm. Park, yeah. There's yeah. another good sled place. We're going to look for the low hills. My daughter's still, she's. I think she's weary on snow. I've shown her the snow. She looks at it. She says, dead at cold. She walks away. Is this the first time she's ever seen snow? That's correct. <gasps> well, she was raised. She's a California, California. born yeah. kid. Yeah, and yeah. We just moved here. So this is all new to her. Heck, it's all new to us. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, I think she'll, she'll come around over time, especially when, when we can put her in some of the winter sports and whatnot, mm-hmm. which uh, I think she'll look forward to. You That's me- awesome. You mentioned uh, one eating spot that you like to be been to is there any others any other favorites i mean even just a lunch place or there's or... yeah um there's a mexican place red iguana yeah that mm-hmm. we went to that i really liked um if you like mole sauce i thought it was fantastic and again i'm vegetarian so you have your biases but there's a sandwich spot in in salt lake called buds yeah yeah which is just everybody i know raves about that place it's man. a good place yeah. it's real. we just tried it last week the sandwiches are excellent have you been to uh, Zest? No, where is that? You got to check Ooh, yeah. out Zest, especially. It's all vegan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it is gluten-free as well. Uh, that is, it's on the corner of 300 South and 200 West. So it's right downtown. Really cool joint. Uh, I used to live right around the corner and go there all the time, especially because I'm gluten-free, but yes. with you being vegetarian. Yeah. And it's uh, it's 21 and over. They have a, they have a strange license there. Uh, I tried to take... Uh, younger sister or sister tried to take one of her kids anyway and they wouldn't let it in so don't take your kids there but maybe right. maybe on like a lunch or something it's a good yeah. date night or, or a date yeah. take your wife I, I know i've heard i've heard of it actually yeah. i've heard a lot of good things it's on our list sure Zest. cool cool is there anything you would change about salt lake city i mean i know you've only been here for a few months and yeah. it's, if there's nothing that's fair too so I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard enough about the inversion that if in a perfect world you could change the way air pollution tends to settle here, that would probably be a good thing for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, the liquor laws are unusual. Are you, uh, are you struggling with those at all? No. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in that. I'm not a big drinker. I'm a glass of wine here and there kind of person. It's, so it's, I could see if you did want to drink often, it's just you would have to adjust quite a bit here. And you take for granted when you move from a place that you can essentially at any time of the day buy beer, liquor, wine without issues. Here, if somebody wanted to drink, you clearly have to be a little more strategic in terms of the liquor stores and the times. And the few times I've gone, there seems to always be a crowd out the door. So (laughs) it's not like people aren't drinking here. It's just you have to plan ahead a little bit more. Yeah, so exactly. It, it I, For me, it hasn't been a big thing. In fact, I probably drink less than I used to because, again, it just takes extra work to go uh, buy a bottle yeah. of red wine. And I ask myself, do I really want to take that step or not? So it's not a big deal for me, but I, I have a feeling over time those laws will probably change. Oh, they've gotten a lot better, man. That's what I've heard. <laughs> they've gotten, well, I mean, we just got regular beer here now. In the, in the grocery, in the grocery stores. In grocery stores, yep. which Dude. is a big step. When I f- first moved here for quite a few years – used to have to get like a membership to go into clubs, you know, the private club for members. And uh, so that was kind of a pain, but it's gotten a lot more relaxed here. Thank you again so much for uh, coming and doing the show. It's, it's been so much fun to get to know you a little bit. I know we just kind of covered the, the basis of uh, everything, but uh, was there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't talk about? 
Uh, and if there isn't, that's fine too. I always just usually like to open it up uh, if, if anybody has anything that they wanted to talk about. The, you know, the only other thing I would mention, at least from kind of a professional interest standpoint, yeah. you know, you only get platforms so often. Yeah. One thing that I'm interested in is just, it's a professional and personal interest of mine. And again, it's, again, it's one of the reasons I went into cardiology yeah. is um, this, there really is an epidemic of heart disease specifically in my community my community being the South Asian community. And people in the community are pretty well aware of it and that most people have a loved one who's had heart disease or suffered from heart disease. And specifically in Salt Lake City, the you know, as you know, over time, the community is becoming more diverse here. Yeah, There's people moving in from all parts of the country. And even here, there is a South Asian community. It's small, but it exists. And one thing I would say is, that's something that I'm working on is figuring out ways to try to reduce heart disease, make more awareness of heart disease, specifically in my community, and overall try to reduce the burden of heart disease. So I would we talked about it before. I, I think everybody should know their numbers. I think everybody should try to live better. And I would say if you're specifically a part of the South Asian community, you should be well aware that you're you're at higher risk, unfortunately, for heart disease. Why why do you think that is? Just uh it's a good question. Genetics. Yeah, that, genetics I mean, yeah. There's a good. That's a good question. There, there's, there's a higher number of kind of traditional risk factors in the community. There's more diabetes. People are less active. There's more obesity. People are heavier. But on top of that, there is genetics that's sometimes harder to measure. And there's a lot of people that have genetic predispositions to heart disease that they're not aware of, and you can find out the hard way. So I would say for anybody and everybody, especially as you get older, I would always overreact to new symptoms, not underreact, and know your numbers, see a doctor. You're better off being overinformed and make good decisions based on that versus being underinformed. Unless you're a hypochondriac. That's correct. Is there an- <laughs> then ignore what I said. <laughs> is there another group of people like uh, how you said South Asian? Yeah. And, uh, is there any other that maybe that are that, at higher risk? Higher risk. A lot of ethnic groups are at higher risk ethnic. for different. Different diseases, I would say, you know, in the African-American community, high blood pressure runs rampant in different in the Hispanic community, uh, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, obesity. So, you know, every community has different diseases that they are a little bit higher risk for. Some of it has to do with, you know, lifestyle. Some of it has to do with culture. But also some of it has to do with, as I mentioned, just your genetics. Yeah. And some of those things are hard to measure. So you're better off at least seeing a doctor and being aware of some of these things so you can be really proactive about it. So you can say, mm-hmm. man, I am a this old person from this background, and I'm probably at higher risk for this problem. So I'm going to be overly cautious about these issues because, like all of us, I want to live a long, meaningful life. And I don't want these things to get in the way uh, in my 40s, 50s, and 60s when I knew that someone already told me I'm at higher risk for some of these problems. Yeah, I have a kind of a, a dumb question. How, how would we, like, if anyone listening or if I wanted to, try to find out what we might be predispositioned for? Like, is there yeah. a way to figure that out? Like, where do you go? Who do you talk to? That's a good question. You know, there, there are a lot of companies that are making certain home testing platforms. I, I can't say I've done them myself or I have a lot of experience with them, but I have a lot of friends that have taken steps towards, you know, sending biologic samples and receiving results saying, this is your genetic ancestry. You are this percentage from this country and that percentage from that country. And moreover, you're at higher risk for these forms of uh, illnesses. 
And there are companies working on that. I can't say a lot of medical professionals necessarily use it in their day-to-day practice. I don't think anyone would ignore that information if you brought it into a physician. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think like we talked about before, I think a doctor's obligation in 2019 and 2020 moving forward is embracing how quickly things are changing, understanding that people are going to get information from all sorts of sources. And part of your job is actually trying to keep up and then trying to help people understand how you can best help the person in front of you and not necessarily the entire community, but individualizing that care for the person who's who's looking to you for help. How can listeners of the uh, podcast get a hold of you if they want it or find out more about you? I know you have a website. I'm not on Instagram like a lot of people, but I'm on Twitter. I'm on a lot of the professional networking sure. sites, LinkedIn, Doximity, ResearchGate, things that are more for professional work um, or just through the university. Uh, one could look up my name and get a hold of me pretty easily. Okay. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Chrissy has a final question. She I always do. asks everybody that comes through here, Kevin. So I'm going to let her... Uh, Go ahead. Take it away. Thank you. So could you leave our listeners with a motto or piece of life advice? I would say work hard, be honest, be kind, and everything will work out. Many thanks again to Kevin Shaw for joining us on this episode. All of the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found with this episode's show notes right on our website, which can be found at IamSaltLake.com slash 412, and that's for episode 412. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. That's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by supporting our show sponsors, KRCL, Market Source Real Estate, and Libsyn. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. Hey, and people hit me up all the time asking how they can support the podcast. First of all, support our sponsors. These guys are great for supporting us, so go ahead and support them. You can also become a Patreon supporter yourself, though, where you can donate even just $1. Helps keep the podcast going. You can find all of that information at IamSaltLake.com slash Patreon or If you want to support the podcast non-monetarily, tell your family and friends about the podcast, tell your coworkers at work about it, or share your favorite episodes on social media. All right, you guys have a great week. Make sure to get out and enjoy Salt Lake City. Support local whenever possible, and we're going to see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy. 